Thank you for listening to this teaching from the prayer room. For more teachings, notes, downloads, or to subscribe to our podcast, as well as information about who we are and our upcoming events, visit our website at theprayerroomdfw.com. Well, this is our series, The Book of Revelation. This is session 47. Notes are being handed out. They're also available online. If you go to the resource tab, you can click on recent teachings and access the notes digitally that way. Session 47 is entitled The Seal of the Living God. And uh, what we're uh, kind of in the middle of here, we've just studied the seven seals. And if you guys can kind of remember the, the little bit um, more 10,000 foot view, there's seven seals. They're bad. I mean, they're, they're intense. There's seven trumpets. Those are even more intense. And then there's seven bowls of God's wrath, and those are the most intense. We just got done looking at the seven seals. But what we did, kind of on purpose, so that we could stay in the theme of those seals, we skipped over chapter 7. And so in Revelation chapter 6, you've got the first six seals. Revelation chapter 8, at the beginning of it, you've got the seventh seal. So we went in order. We went 1, 2, 3, 5, 6, 7. However, between the sixth and the seventh seal, we have Revelation chapter 7, which describes something very interesting, unique, and important for the church to understand. I'm going to read to you this passage. I did kind of a condensed version of Revelation 7 and kind of picked uh, some of the most kind of key uh, details here. I'm going to read it to you so that we've got a baseline for our discussion here. Revelation 7, uh, top of page 1. After this, I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding back the four winds of the earth to prevent any wind from blowing on the land or on the sea or on any tree. Then I saw another angel coming up from the east, having the seal of the living God. He called out in a loud voice to the four angels who had been given power to harm the land and the sea. Do not harm the land or the sea or the trees until we put a seal on the foreheads of the servants of our God. Then I heard the number of those who were sealed, 144,000 from all the tribes of Israel. After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. And one of the elders said, These are they who have come out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and they've made them white in the blood of the Lamb. So, let's talk a little bit about what's happening here. There's an angel carrying a seal. And uh, before you start thinking, seal, no, it's not that kind of seal. You got that wrong. This angel is carrying a signet ring or a signet emblem, a signet seal of some sort as a physical item in his hand, presumably, or around his neck or something. This angel is carrying the seal of God. This is the concept of an, an ancient kingdom. The governing rulers would put wax. We've already talked about this a little bit when we studied uh, the letters to the seven churches, but would put wax on a document in order to seal that document. So imagine you scroll, you know, roll up a piece of paper and then you put a wax, uh, you know, a wet wax on there and then let it dry. But as it's drying, you'd put a signet ring on there and that would then leave a mark. It would leave an emblem. They would be really clear, oh, this came from this nation or from this dignitary or this leader. 
the angel is carrying one of those. But instead of it going on wax, we find out in a minute, it goes on foreheads. Okay, so he gets your forehead all clay-like, all mushy-gushy, and then I guess he sticks it to you, and then you wind up with a seal on your forehead, not on uh, wax or on a piece of paper. So this is kind of an interesting scenario because you look at the details, and while I might be making that sound a little silly, that's exactly what happens. <laughs> this angel is carrying a seal, and he seals humans' heads. That's what he does with the seal, okay? So that's really an interesting thought. And for this to be happening, again, right in the middle of the seal judgments. So just get kind of some of the symbolism there. He's carrying a seal as the lamb is opening the seals. You got me? That's what's happening here. All right? This angel is carrying the seal. Gave you a little bit more information there. This scene takes place on earth. So much of what we've read about uh, up to this point was activity that was occurring in heaven that was affecting the earth. But we were reading about the activity in heaven when Jesus would open a seal. Those, the him opening those seals was happening with him up in heaven, opening the seal. So it was a, an activity in heaven that was, hap, that was making impact on the earth. This isn't that. This is actually occurring on the earth. Look at this. Revelation 7, 1, I'm at the top of page 2. Angels standing at the four corners of the earth. Where are the angels? On the earth. Holding back the four winds of the earth to prevent any wind from blowing on the land of the sea or any tree. On the earth. Revelation 7, 2, I saw this other angel coming up from the east. East of what? On the earth. Coming up from the east on planet earth. So just the scene, if you kind of want to get a little bit of a picture of what's happening here in this scene, it's occurring on the earth. Next, this scene is about identifying the timing of events. This is one of those um, passages that gives us significant insight into timing. Okay? There's a lot of after this, then, until language that's found in Revelation chapter 7. That's important because it helps us understand when it says things like after this, after what? Well, Revelation 7.1 is describing after the sixth seal. So after the sixth seal, this event occurs. Before the seventh seal or maybe during, okay? But this event is happening after the sixth seal. Then another angel came up. So just getting, again, some of the chronology of events there. I just more wanted to point out to you that if you look at the language that's found in Revelation chapter 7, you can get some insights into the timing of events, okay? Next, letter D, page 2. This scene is about judgment, and this scene is about protection. It's about judgment and protection. It's both. I mean, full-on judgment, full-on protection, here the angel is told, do not harm the land or the sea or the trees. Oh, good. Do not harm. Protection. Until. Uh-oh. Until. That means you're about to harm. Exactly. It's about judgment and protection. Do not harm until. Until what? We put the seal on the foreheads of the servants of our God. We want the servants of our God. That means save people. We want that signet ring or whatever it is. It doesn't exactly say what item it is. We just know it's the seal of the living God. So upstairs in heaven, you know, there's a room full of stuff, artifacts and everything else. And one of the things in that room or up there somewhere is the seal of the living God. And if you live in heaven, you know what it is. Everybody knows, oh, that's the seal of the living God. That's a really cool looking thing. What is it? I've never seen that before. It's not a ring. It's not a necklace. It's a seal of the living God. That's right. It's exactly what it is. So, 
The scene is about judgment and the scene is about protection. Part E. This scene announces a future sealing moment. This scene, Revelation chapter 7, promises something crazy, crazy good, is going to happen in the future. It announces the fact that there is a moment in the future tied to actual time, time to chronology of events. There is an actual moment in the future. It happens after the sixth seal. There's an actual moment where the saints will be sealed with the seal of the living God. This announces a seal moment, okay? It's really important. All right, let's look at the top of page three here. Identifying the angels and the winds. So Revelation 7 tells us about four angels and four winds. Each angel is in charge of a wind, okay? Which is kind of a, a familiar thought process by this point. You know, we did a whole session studying angels and a lot of times it was an angel, there were seven angels, seven trumpets. So each angel got a trumpet. Then there were, you know, the, the seven angels before the throne and each of them had a, you know, a lampstand. And then it was, you know, this group of angels and each of them had this. And each, it's kind of a normal thing in the kingdom of heaven and the orchestration of events that angels are given things that it's kind of attached to at least that assignment. They're given a physical item or, or connected to something. Uh, that is attached to a, a specific event or a specific uh, task that they have. Well, here we have in Revelation 7, four angels, and they are in charge of the four winds. A couple of details. These winds are supernatural. These are not natural winds. Because what these winds do isn't what winds do. Winds blow stuff. That's what winds do. These winds don't blow stuff. These winds accomplish very unique difficulties in the earth. These winds are the winds of God, which are bringing, you could even say, you know, the winds of change. I mean, these winds, when each one of these winds blow, things happen on the earth that are judgments. So these winds are not just natural like, you know, the air's blowing really fast today. These winds are judgments. They're supernatural winds. Furthermore, these angels have control of them. We brought it up a couple of times in this series, the thought process that the two um, uh, witnesses at the end of the age, it says they have control of plagues. And they can call down whatever plague they want as often as they want. There's two witnesses that are going to have control of plagues. These four angels have control of winds. These four winds, four angels, but again, these winds, it's not like the normal, you know, gusts kind of deal. This is actually speaking of judgments. Kind of like trumpets aren't trumpets. Seals aren't seals. Bowls aren't bowls. Winds aren't winds. Winds are judgments. These are four judgments, okay? They're end time judgments, but they have limited negative impact. We read about uh, that in, in this passage. We see it says, prevent any wind from blowing on the land, the sea, or any tree. He called out to the angels who had been given power to harm the land and the sea. These winds are for harming. That's what these winds do. Do not harm the land, the sea, or the trees. So these winds are in the control of these angels, and they accomplish specific, limited, negative impacts. Okay? Well... It just so happens their negative impacts 
are the same negative impacts as trumpet one, two, three, and four. Say it again. The negative impacts that these winds touch are the same negative impacts as the first, second, third, and fourth trumpet. So, what I believe, and I think it, I mean, I think I'm right. What I believe is the first four trumpet angels are these angels here with the winds, and the wind that they're blowing is actually the wind out of their trumpets. The wind that's coming is actually related to these same four things. So I'll just read them to you. Again, we just looked at the land, the sea, and trees or vegetation, all right? That's what these, in Revelation 7, that's what these angels, their winds, touch. Land, sea, and trees, all right? Well, let's just look at what happens when the first, second, third, and fourth trumpets are blown, okay? There it is, bottom of page three. The first angel sounded his trumpet, and a third of the earth was burned up, and a third of the trees were burned up. Well, that's exactly what we just read. Second uh, angel sounded his trumpet, and a third of the sea turned to blood. Third angel sounded his trumpet, and a third of the waters turned bitter. Fourth angel sounded his trumpet, and a third of the day was without light, and also a third of the night. You go, okay, well, wait, that one doesn't really make sense. How does that have anything to do with sea, trees, and land? I'll tell you. The sun is in charge of the vegetation cycles. So when the sun is touched, which it says right there, a third of the day was without light and also a third of the night, you're talking about the sun being touched. When the sun is touched, that impacts vegetation in a serious way, as well as the earth. Second, when the moon is touched, the moon is in charge of the cycles of the sea. The moon touches the tides. So when the moon and the sun are touched, the sea and the vegetation are touched. So here we go. One, two, three, four trumpets. It's land, sea, trees, vegetation. It's, it's the exact same realities as what we see with the four uh, wind angels that are told, you can't touch. God's saying this to them. Well, actually, it's another angel, but it's the messenger of the Lord. Saying to these angels, nobody touches the land, the sea, the trees, the vegetation, the sun, the moon. You don't touch any of that until the saints have been sealed. Now, after the saints have been sealed, then you can start to touch those elements. So it's just a few verses later into chapter 8, those things start getting touched. They start getting touched because the seal of God has already happened in chapter 7. You tracking with me? Okay. The first four trumpet angels are told that they must withhold their trumpet blasts or the wind until the appointed time. We see in Revelation chapter 8, verse 6, so, um, you know, track with me here. We've been, we've been going back and forth between chapter 6, 7, and 8, okay? Chapter 6 was the seals, the seal judgments, as well as the beginning of chapter 8. That was the seventh seal, jump, uh, trump, uh, seventh seal judgment. And now we've gone back just a little bit. We're in chapter 7. But when you go to chapter 8, verse 6, that's right after the seventh seal, and right in the middle of that, we see that the trumpet angels have their trumpets in their hand, but they haven't blown them yet. It's because they've been told, do not blow the winds. Don't let the winds touch the earth until the trumpets have sound. And once the, uh, I'm sorry, until the, sea, the saints have been sealed, once the saints have been sealed, those 
angels then have the trumpets and are able to start blowing them. All right. Uh, part three, those who are sealed. Let's look at who's sealed. Okay, first of all, the most important line, which I didn't uh, highlight as strongly in the notes, but I want to make sure to emphasize it now. The most important line related to who is sealed is this. It's really simple. Uh, let's see. Uh, verse 7, verse 3. Do not harm the land, the sea, the trees, until we put a seal on the foreheads of the servants of our God. So those that are going to be sealed are the servants of our God. That's every Christian. But we learn a couple of really interesting things here in chapter 7. There are two main groups that are going to get touched by this that we'll look at here in a little bit. But here's the one I, I want to uh, just talk about for just a second. This angel, he's given uh, this seal in his hand, and he's given a very interesting task, a very important task. This angel is told to seal the servants of the living God. And what we see is he comes and he touches all the saints. And I want to tell you that this seal goes beyond just the physical protection. This seal is also equipping and help to navigate. This seal, there's a lot that happens when this seal touches the forehead of the saints. It's not just, oh, okay, now we won't hurt you. There's a lot going on that we won't get into right now. But there's a lot going on related to when this seal touches the forehead of the saints in their empowering, in their equipping, in their being emboldened. There's a lot that occurs. There's two groups that are sealed. Revelation 7, I gave you 4 through 11 here. Remember, it's who, who gets sealed? The, uh, the um, saints of the Most High God, or, or the way that it, it read was the servants of our God. That's who. But it breaks that down into very detailed information about two specific groups. First, 144,000 Jews that are not saved yet, they'll get saved. 144,000 Jews in the future, 12,000 from each tribe that will be saved during the tribulation period, they will receive the seal of God. Second group, it says, uh, then I heard the number of those who were sealed, 144,000 from all the tribes of Israel. And there before me was a great multitude that no one could count. Who's this multitude? This multitude is from every tribe, people, language, and nation. And they were standing before the throne and before the Lamb. This is the second group. It's the bigger group. It actually includes the Jews as well because it says from every nation, which would include Israel. This group is the, the bulk of what it means when in, uh, the trumpet angel was told, I'm sorry, the seal angel told the four angels with the wind. He told them, don't release the winds until we put a seal on the foreheads of the servants of our God. Who are the servants of our God? Well, there's two uh, two groups that are specifically addressed in Revelation chapter 7, the 144,000 Jews and the great multitude from all the nations. So it's the Jews and the Gentiles. Both groups are receiving the seal, but that really shouldn't be a surprise to us because we already read who the seal is for. Revelation chapter 7, verse 3, or was it verse 4? Verse 3 says, don't harm this stuff until we put the seal on the servants of our God. Well, that would be all the church. But we find out in this interesting grouping, the reason for the, uh, for the 
demarcation. The reason that it's brought up, the 144,000 that are going to give their lives to the Lord from the, uh, the Jewish tribes during the tribulation, and also the Gentiles that are going to give their lives to the Lord during the tribulation, the reason it's brought up is because these are ones that are actually going to come to know the Lord during the great tribulation period. Let me read it for you. Uh, there it says in uh, Revelation chapter 7, verse 14, who are these? The angel, uh, uh, John, and one of the elders in heaven are having a conversation. He goes, who are these? Who's, who is all this group? What am I looking at? I was just told the seal of God is going to come and touch the people of God. And then I was told about 144,000 Jews, and I was told about a countless number of Gentiles. Who are these people that I'm looking at? Are they just saved saints? Or is there something more specific about these saints? Who am I looking at? And the, and the uh, elder replies, these are they who have come out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb means they got saved. Came up out of the tribulation means they were, of not, they were not of this category before the tribulation. This is a group that came up out of the tribulation. This is describing to us one of the clearest places to expect a great harvest of souls, a revival, even during the tribulation period. This is a massive number that are going to give their lives to the Lord during the great tribulation period. These are those that have come up out of the great tribulation, Okay, well, give me a little bit more. How about this? There are those that have washed their robes in the blood of the Lamb, and now they are white as snow. Oh, they got saved. Exactly. That's exactly what happened to them. This is a great multitude. Now, I just want to put it in there because I think it's important that we recognize how brilliant of a teacher Jesus is and his multi-layered efforts to teach us about the kingdom of God while he was here, parable after parable after parable. It's really obvious, like it's clear, clear, clear that this seal is affecting those that are specifically talked about in the passage. The 144,000 and the great multitude that comes up out of the tribulation. But you might ask the question, well, how do we know that if we got saved before all this, if you were a Jew that gave your life to the Lord before this, or if you were a Gentile and you gave your life to the Lord before this, like me, how do I know I'm included in there? Well, again, I think the passage makes it clear enough, but Jesus told this parable that just, I just love the way that the Lord speaks. Top of page five, Matthew chapter 20, 14 through 16. For the kingdom of heaven is like this. Let me tell you a story. Let me tell you how it is. Jesus is the king of heaven. He's coming back to the earth. He's the landowner he's about to talk about. And he says, let me tell you a little parable about how the kingdom of heaven works. Kingdom of heaven is like this, a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. That's people who get saved early. He agreed to pay them a denarius for the day, and he sent them into the vineyard. He went out again at noon and about at three, and in the afternoon he did the same thing. Each received a denarius. I want to give the man who was hired last the same. Don't I have the right to do, with, uh, do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I'm generous? So the last will be first, and the first will be last. I just want to make it really clear. Jesus isn't going to seal the ones that get saved during the tribulation and leave you and me hanging out to dry. We'll get a denarius too. 
Okay? He's going to give to the ones that got into the kingdom early the reward that was promised, which is heaven and is also the seal of God. He's then going to also give that seal to those even who give their lives to Jesus during the great tribulation. They were totally not on board with Jesus 15 minutes ago. And all of a sudden now they receive the seal of the living God and they're saying, Jesus is going to treat them with the same honor and dignity because if you look at the passage, Jesus is actually in these parables, he's talking about when he comes back for his kingdom. That's really how this is. I'm a landowner, I'm going to go away, but when I come back to settle accounts with everybody, I'm going to treat you the same. If I promised you a denarius, you're going to get a denarius, whether you got saved early, got saved middle, or got saved late. The context of the timing of these seals, a little bit on this. Those redeemed from the tribulation, I've kind of already gone over that point a good bit, but just to give you the, the context here, the sealing that is recurring here in Revelation chapter 7, receiving the seal of the living God, it's taking place in the middle of the tribulation period. It's not happening 10 years before. It's not happening 10 years after. It says, after this, which is after the sixth seal, after this, these things occur. The church is sealed after the seals are opened. Now, that's an important detail because this brings us to a session we already covered related to the protection capacities of the Lord during the Great Tribulation period. The church will endure the seals. Just think about this for a second. When you look at the, the tone of the seals and then you look at the tone of the trumpets and then that of the bulls of wrath, it goes from really difficult to insanely difficult, to impossibly difficult. But during the seals, the note of, uh, that you can kind of make about the seals is they are of a far more natural sort and far more natural order. They cover things like war, famine. The wild beast is kind of one that we don't really want to get into, but it's, it's intense. Famine, wild beasts, war, plagues, but they're of a more natural order uh, sort of uh, um, uh, format or, or type. When you go to the trumpets, you leave natural and you go to supernatural in the most unbelievable way. Now, the intensity of the seals is unlike anything we've ever seen before, but I want to make this clear. The seals are very much like the signs of the times on steroids. The seals, when you're looking at the seal judgments and what's occurring in the first four seals, it is very much like the type of activity that we're going to experience in the signs of the times in the period of the birth pangs. So if that's a little bit over your head, ask your neighbor later. But the, my point here is, when you're looking at the seals, they look, smell, and feel like events that the church will absolutely have already endured. Wars, famines, plagues, creations grown. The church will have already endured those, but when you get into the seals, it's like there's an exponent put on the thing. The seals get intense. But when you move from the seal judgments to the trumpet judgments, you are no longer talking about the natural order. You're talking about blood coming out of the sky. It goes way beyond natural. When you move from the seal judgments to the trumpet judgments, you just went to a whole new order of difficulty. You went to a supernatural uh, uh, caliber of judgment. The reason I'm saying all that, the church will endure 
the seals with great fellowship, protection, and leadership of the Holy Spirit. But the protection is going to look far more like creative helps. Like, don't go down that street. There's a wild beast down there. And we're discerning it prophetically to not go down that street. That is help. That is protection. But there's still going to be impact of war. I mean, when the whole world is at war, the church is going to experience the negative impacts of war. The Lord will still be with us, but we are, we are not sealed during the seals. We are sealed after the seals. We are sealed during the period between the sixth and the seventh seal before the trumpet blast because that's what the angel who comes down wants to make sure everybody's protected from. He says, hey, 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 you make sure not to blow any of those trumpets. <laughs> that's where it gets really double crazy. Until we put the seal on the foreheads of the saints. So don't touch those yet. You're not allowed to blow any of those crazy trumpet things yet. Those can't happen till the saints are sealed because the seal of the living God changes the rules. I'm going to give you a few uh, details here from the word that you can look at. The comparison to the mark of the beast. Just as the mark of the beast will protect those who take it, from the Antichrist's government. The seal of God will protect those who take it from God's government. You tracking? The mark of the beast will protect horrible, horrible people from the Antichrist. That's what the, that's what the mark of the beast does. The mark of God, or the seal of the living God, protects the saints from the administration of the government of heaven. The mark over the door. You guys remember during the uh, Exodus? They were told, put a mark over the door and it will protect you. Now, we just need to understand, it's, this has got biblical precedence already. I mean, we may look at that and go, all I gotta do is put some lamb blood over the door and I'm not gonna die, but the same angel that's gonna kill my neighbor's kid isn't going to get into my house. Yes. Give me some blood. Because we're doing the door thing for sure. It was a mark of protection. This is part of the way God operates. So when we read in Revelation, God knows how to seal the saints and protect them from judgments while bringing the same judgment on the next door neighbor. We need to understand this is real. And it has historical precedent. Another example, the mark of the tall in Ezekiel chapter 9. If you're not familiar with that passage, Ezekiel is told, mark, and the mark is a ta, a ta, it looks like an X, okay? It's a letter in the Hebrew alphabet. And Ezekiel was told, go around and on all the righteous, mark an X on the foreheads of everybody that's not going to die today. Ezekiel, mark the righteous on the forehead with an X. And then he looked at all the guards and he said, now guards, go kill everybody that doesn't have an X on their head. Really intense situation. But again, once, right there, we got the passage. I'll let you read it on your own. But it's really clear that God, like, he does this. Furthermore, he does it on the forehead. There it is again. It was a physical outward sign. Now let's look at a comparison here. We'll wrap up and then we'll get into some discussion questions. Comparison to the mark of the beast. Let's give it a little bit more detail here. Both signs are on the forehead. 
Revelation 7.3 says, Do not harm the land or the sea or the trees until we put a seal on the forehead of the servants of our God. So God's mark goes on the forehead. What about the other side? Revelation 13.16, It also forced people to receive a mark on their right hands or on their foreheads. So you've got the mark of the beast, it's going to be on the forehead. And you've got the mark of God, it's going to be on the forehead. So you're actually going to be able to look at two dudes and go, which dude are you? Well, what kind of mark you got? Which, who'd you take the seal from? Who is it that you received the demarcation? Who did you align with? It's pretty intense. Those are, this is Revelation. I mean, this is, the storyline of Revelation is the most unbelievable unfolding of events that we have the information ahead of time to know, oh, it's Seal Tuesday. It's finally come. We've been waiting. <laughs> Angel, get me. Don't forget me, man. I'm in. There is going to be a day when the saints will be sealed on the forehead, and that will equal their protection from the trumpets and the bowls. Both marks have eternal consequences. Give you Revelation 14, 9. If anyone receives its mark on their forehead, they will be tormented with burning sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and of the Lamb. It's talking about the mark of the beast. But Revelation 7, 9 says, top of page 8, There before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language. They were standing before the throne and before the Lamb. These marks have eternal consequences. Receive the mark of the beast, burn in hell forever, for sure. Receive the mark of God or the seal of the living God, inheritance in heaven forever, for sure. It's like really intense. There's also some guarantees related to martyrdom. Revelation 14 tells us that the saints who receive his mark have been redeemed from the earth but they're redeemed from the earth before Jesus comes back. You know what redeemed from the earth before Jesus comes back means? You're dead. That's what that means. Redeemed from the earth before the second coming. How did you get up there? How did you get off of the earth and get redeemed from the earth? They're called the first fruits of God also in Revelation chapter 14. How did you get redeemed and become first fruits before the second coming? You, you died. You were martyred. But we were just told that because in Revelation chapter 7, it says this great multitude that no one could count, they came up out of the great tribulation. They're the great host of martyrs at the end of the age. This is part of the answer. Remember Revelation chapter 6? We looked at the fifth seal. How long, sovereign Lord, until you avenge our blood, the martyrs cry out. And the response was, not until the full number has come in. We look now just a few verses later, because remember, there aren't chapter breaks in the original writing. It's just a few verses later, we're answered the question, how many? It's a great multitude you can't even count, and they're from all the nations of the earth. They came up out of the great tribulation. These are those that have washed their robes in the blood of the Lamb. So if you get the mark in that hour, that's a, it's a speaking of a high probability or a guaranteed of martyrdom. But it's really interesting because if you take the other mark, you're kind of guaranteed to not get martyred. If you take the mark of the beast, the mark of the beast is the beast government making a deal with you. Hey, we won't kill you. You took our mark. You've promised to worship the Antichrist. 
So if you take one mark, you're promised to not be martyred. If you take the other mark, you're kind of promised to be martyred. That's really intense. That is another like really intense, you know, connection point there. The sealed, just another just connection point. This is more for you to just go read later if you're interested. The sealed, that is uh, these that we're looking at here in Revelation chapter uh, 7, they show up again. We're going to do a whole session, by the way, on the 144,000, which is why I didn't give any attention to it today. We're going to do a whole session on the 144,000 later. But the 144,000, they show up again in chapter 14. In chapter 14, they show up, and we were just told they're sealed, right? They're part of this group that's sealed. It's really interesting. They show up in chapter 14 just one verse after the Mark of the Beast passage at the end of Revelation 13. Revelation 13 describes the Mark of the Beast. The end of Revelation 13 describes the whole governmental system that's set up. The sealed show up in the book of Revelation right after the marked show up in Revelation in chapter 13. There's this connection. We're supposed to be making the connection here, if I can give my point. We're supposed to be seeing the connection between the seal of God and the mark of the beast. We're supposed to be understanding those in like thought processes, that those aren't completely unrelated things. They're both on the forehead. They both equal protection from whoever's in charge and whoever gave it to you. They both, there's this storyline of the marked in Revelation. So we'll leave with that. We'll go ahead and uh, break into groups now. All right, well, we're going to go now into our uh, time of group questions. I'm going to repeat the questions as best as I can so that those that are viewing online can uh, hear the questions as well. So in the Word, there are occasions where this term seal is used related to God giving a seal. Uh, Revelation 8, I'm sorry, Song of Solomon 8, 6 talks about the, the seal on the heart. Uh, was it 2 Corinthians 1 talks about the, uh, the seal of the Holy Spirit. So how do these seals that are in the Word relate to this seal or, or how, what's the connection point? So, so much of what we see in the end time drama is the culmination of fullness of that which has been whispered for thousands of years. And so the fullness of God's judgment, the fullness of God's redemption, the fullness of God's son coming back to finally rule and reign. I mean, it's fullness, 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 fullness. And so I think the seals that we would read about, and there's other examples as well, I think that would be a fun study, actually. I, you guys ought to do that. I, I, I'll probably do it. Like That sounds like a fun study to go look at those other seals um, because they're down payments of uh, God's purpose. They're, God, uh, they're down payments of the way that God interacts with the heart. However, I will say this. Neither of those seals would guarantee protection without this seal. Uh, so this seal, each seal that's in the Word has unique purpose. And so while this one's kind of like a big one, and you wouldn't get this one unless you'd already taken the, gotten the seal of the Holy Spirit and really made the seal of love, because you're not going to stay saved in the Great Tribulation unless you have got the seal of love written on your heart and you are living the greatest commandment. You will not survive. You will not continue to love Jesus. So it's kind of like the capstone seal, uh, if you will. So great question. So Ephesians 1, 13 uh, uh, talks about receiving the seal of the Holy Spirit um, that was, what was the phrase, that was our something until redemption? Guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption. And so uh, the question that Andy asked was, so in, in this uh, series of uh, software updates that we're receiving, of we've got the seal of the living God here, but previously there's the seal of the Holy Spirit, and then there's the seal upon your arm, there's the you know, is, is the one that's currently available, the Ephesians 1.13, I, I think all of them are available with the exception of this one, because this one has got a time frame attached to it. 
uh, all the others um, have been made available. Um, but this one that we're reading about in Revelation, we're told specifically it happens after the first six seals are opened by Jesus and, uh, and it before the trumpets are blown and, and the winds blow and do the bad stuff. So um, I don't know if I answered your question, but that's really all I have to say about it. So I, so even if I didn't, that's all I got. Um, okay, Caitlin. Okay. So uh, what about someone that gives their life to the Lord after this sealing moment? Would they get the seal of God to protect them through the remaining uh, tribulation? I would think so, but it doesn't say it. Um, the reason I would think so is because of the same parable I read you earlier uh, of Jesus's, you know, response about the kingdom, and it's like, so you just imagine in Jesus's uh, scenario about the he hires the guy like an hour before the end of the day. What if he'd have hired a guy at the end of the day? I mean, I mean if he hired him, <laughs> it's like if he's the guy hiring, and so it makes sense to me that they would get protected. That seems fitting. But I don't know if that angel's got to like have a second round or what. He's got to go out there and do it again. I don't know. It doesn't say. I don't know. But I will say this. One thing that's important for us to understand is the millennial period, the millennium, Jesus ruling on the earth in the millennium, consists of saved people who weren't saved until after he came back. He comes back, and now he's the king on the throne, and in that period of time, they're giving their lives to Jesus. And there's a small number percentage-wise. But even if it's just 1% of the population, if you've got 6 million people right now, maybe it'll be 10 billion before all this goes down. If 1% of the population, if 1% of 1% of the population uh, was in this category that didn't give their lives to Jesus and didn't uh, sign a contract with the Antichrist to give their soul to him, if there was only 1% of 1%, you're still talking about millions and millions of people. Now, it's not billions, but it's still millions. The millennial kingdom will be operated by those that once Jesus returns will give their lives to Jesus because they'll see, oh my goodness, you're Jesus. And they will not have taken the mark of the beast. Again, a very small percentage, but even 1% is a huge number. And they will not have given their life to Jesus previously. Well, they wouldn't have even you know, been eligible for this because they, they, their uh, response, they would have had a resurrected body. But during the millennium, the earth is going to be uh, administrated not just by saints with resurrected bodies, but by people that just got saved in the millennium that don't have resurrected bodies. And it's really clear that they don't have resurrected bodies. They can't go into heaven. There's a lot of details. We'll talk about all those details when we get to probably chapter 20, 20 and 21, 22. Uh, but we'll, we'll get into those details. So anyway, my point with that is there are going to be people saved at different points throughout this process. They're going to be giving their lives to the Lord. And and the, the one uh, uh, verse to me that just helps give so much clarity for how all that can work is Revelation chapter 13, verse 8. All inhabitants of the earth will worship the beast. All. All whose names have not been written in the book of life belonging to the Lamb. Well, the names written in the Lamb book of life were people who were alive and died yesterday who haven't been born yet, that'll die in 20 years. I mean, the Lamb's Book of Life has got, you know, timeline in either direction. And so the fact that their name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life does not mean they are saved yet. And so, but they will be. 
And so the Lord knows who all that is. And so it's like everybody who's not written in there, i.e. everyone who will not eventually give their life to Jesus, will worship the beast. But that doesn't mean everyone will worship the beast because it says right there, all whose names have not been written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Um, so I, uh, I think it's physical. Um, so the question is, is the mark of the, the beast that's shown, I'm sorry, is the seal of the living God, is it physically seen like the mark of the beast will be physically seen? Or, or is it just a spiritual reality? I would say it this way. I can't think of a single reason why it should not be visible. And I can think of a lot of reasons why it should be. Hey, you got the seal. Me too. You know, oh, hey, you don't got the seal. And then the bad guys are trying to kill that guy. You know, or, I mean, it's like, it, you know, it's, I can think of a lot of reasons why the seal should be physically visible. And again, going to the biblical um, uh, precedents that we have, the seal over the doorpost with the blood, which it doesn't get any more like clear and gospel and, I mean, Bible, than the seal over the doorpost, which was a, a picture of the future blood of Christ. It was the lamb's blood over the doorpost. It was physical blood over the doorpost. So it wasn't like they went out there and high-fived the doorpost with, with oil. And it was like, okay, now the angel will know because he can smell oil. There's blood. And it says the angel saw the blood over the doorposts, saw with his eyeballs, the destroying angel, and didn't kill those houses because he saw the protective seal over the door. Again, same thing with the, uh, the Ezekiel thing. Ezekiel, as the priest, was told, hey, I guess here's your magic marker. Go and physically write a X on the forehead of those that weep and mourn over Jerusalem. Like, mark an X over your boys. Mark them. And then, hey, you guards, follow behind Ezekiel, and everybody that doesn't have the X, kill them. So it was about the physical sign. And so I, I think there's no reason why it just needs to be spiritual. But I guess when we get there and we find out, it's like, ah, Brad was wrong. It was only spiritual. The angels smell, you know, the, the, the sign or the post or whatever it is, the mark. But anyway. This concludes this teaching from the prayer room. For more resources or to schedule another TPR teacher to come speak at your church or event, please see our website at theprayerroomdfw.com. Thank you.